still turn over in your Bibles, Romans 15. We have some other scriptures for you beside that, but Romans 15. Last week we were looking at the path of weakness, that we are to stay on the path of strength by continuing, continually to build word-based beliefs, act on those, those beliefs, those word-based beliefs, not the liberty of others, walk free of condemning thoughts and expose temptation by the light of the word. Jesus didn't just resist temptation, he exposed it through the light of the word. We need to follow his example. And we need to get to the place where we do this on our own. And not always needing help to accomplish it. But here today we're going to take a look at the, the next part of Romans 15. We looked at 14 last time. But here in 15, he talks about bearing with the scruples of the weak. And before we get into that, we're going to look at some verses over here in 1 Corinthians. First off in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Each one seek after the well-being of the others. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Some people are thoughtful at no time. How many of you all know people that are thoughtful? Never. No time in their life are they thoughtful of other people. They're only thoughtful of themselves. There are some people who are thoughtful some of the time kind of a part-time status. Sometimes I'm thoughtful, sometimes I'm not. They're part-timers. Then we have the third group. These are, these are people that are thoughtful most of the time. I would call them full-time. But if you're full-time at work, you're not there all the time, are you? You're called full-time, but you're not there all the time. You're there, maybe it seems like most of the time, but it's still not all the time. Corinthians says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Does that sound like it's part-time status? Does that like, sound like something that we should be part-time? Now, let no one. He doesn't isolate this and say, Don't let them mature. He says, Let no one. So whether you see yourself as strong or weak, whether you see yourself as mature or, or not, however you see yourself makes no difference. He says here, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. In a few verses down in verse 32 and 33, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. I, just as I also please all men in all things. Now, we started this few weeks ago looking at how Paul would adjust himself and he would become what other people need. Just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So this is what his focus is. This is his all-the-time focus, not full-time, not part-time, not no-time. His all-the-time focus is, how do I benefit the body? What can I do to benefit the body? What can I do to, to make it get better? get more people saved, get more people to grow. What can I do to help the body? A lot of times we think about the body some. Or maybe we think about the body much, but we don't think about the body all the time. We have to get to the place where we think about them all the time. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, besides the other things, 
what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So he's describing all the things that come against him, all the things that come up in him. And he said, beside all that, there's also my deep concern for the churches. This is something that encompasses him. He doesn't go through the day and not think about the church of Ephesus, the church at Colossus, the, the, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Philippi. He doesn't go through the day and not think about the believers that are in these cities. He's always thinking about them. He's praying for them. He's lifting them up. And it, in uh, the book of Ephesians, which we'll be into this Wednesday night, he look at one of the prayers he makes for the, for the body. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 19, Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. We do all things for your edification. Now think of some of the words that come out of your mouth. How many times are those words, is the purpose of those words for the edification of the people that hear them? Think of, think of some of the times you get angry. Think of some of the times when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Think of some of the times when the person at the supermarket's not checking you out as fast as you like. And we begin to become self-seeking. We don't always think of what is the other person going through. What, is, what, is, what can I do? What can I say to help those people out? That's not always in the forethought. A lot of times we get pulled into thinking, how have I been inconvenienced? How have I been held back? How have I been uh, not right? Now you go through maybe a, a drive-through, you go through some place, and you expect to have a, a quick service, and you don't get it. How many are happy? We can get sometimes a little irritated at that. I'm supposed to come through here, and instead of taking it two minutes, I've been here for ten. Ten whole minutes. <laughs> if you were at home making that, it'd take you longer. But we lose sight of those things, and we begin to take it out on the people that are at the window. And sometimes you get some of these people that are at the window, and they've just they, they've uh, they've been abused, they've been yelled at, and they're just they're ready to get yelled at by you. Oh, I know this person is going to yell at me. I know this person is going to say something to me. Oh, because I haven't done. We didn't get this thing out of there in, in time. There was uh, some years ago. I'm pretty sure I shared the story when it happened, but I'll share it with you again. There was a, a time I was going through the, the the line at the bank, and there was this particular lady who was always at the drive-thru. She ran the drive-thru. She was real good at her job. She was just was real pleasant. And she made going through the drive-thru uh, a nice experience. There was, you look forward to going through the, oh, I'm going to get to see so-and-so. They're going to be there. And one time I came through the drive-thru, and she was over there, and she was not happy. She was sad. And that, this is the first time I've ever seen her sad. I said, oh, what's going on? She says, oh, the guy before you, oh, he was just, he was so nasty. And she just was, was tore up from this. And I'm thinking, this is such a sweet lady who just does everything that they possibly can to help you. And um, what came out of, out, of my, uh, out of my mouth, sitting there, says, well, I said, but don't you be concerned about it. You only had to interact with him for a couple of minutes out of the day. He's got to live with himself. <laughs> and, she, and she suddenly brightened up. He says, oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> and she just, she was much better and just, uh, just kind of perked up. You see, if you're going to have that kind of attitude where you're always thinking about yourself and pushing other people off, you're going to be unhappy, and you won't have the people to support you when you need it. Because when the people see that you're going through a hard time, they're going to say, good, you deserve it. 
and, and you won't have that support. So we've got to understand how is it that not only do I live my life in a way that I am thinking about others, but how do I live my life that others understand that I'm thinking about them? I'm sure that you have heard a lot of people who have said, well, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm thinking about other people. And you're thinking, no, you're not. You ever done that with people? No, you're not. That's, you're just being selfish and just calling it, looking out for other people. Being thoughtful is an all-the-time position. You've got to do this all the time. Not just full-time, not just part-time, and certainly not no time. But here in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, this is a verse we all know. I'm sure you have it hanging on your refrigerator. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. Now you've heard it said many times, Paul does not write in chapter and verses. It is all one letter. The unfortunate part of the chapter break of chapter 15 is that people a lot of times will pick up reading Romans 15 at chapter 15, verse 1. But he's already defined who the weak and the strong are, and we covered that last week. In chapter 14, he's told you who the weak are, he's told you who the strong are. It doesn't matter whether the picture you want to get of who is the weak and who is strong, Paul just laid down his, his base. This is the weak that we're talking about. This is the strong that we're talking about. The strong are those people who have more freedom because they properly understand what the Word of God is saying. The weak are those who take a lesser meaning, a, a lower level understanding of the Word, and come out with restrictions that the Bible does not actually put on them. That is the weaker brother. That is the weaker brother that he is talking about. They have not come into that place of freedom because they have not come into that place of understanding. The stronger one is the one who has the greater understanding. And he says, now you that are stronger, you have greater understanding, therefore greater freedom. Don't use that freedom to hurt people. If you have a weaker brother, someone who thinks that that thing you're doing is sin, don't do it in their presence. Move, move it to another place. In their presence, understand who they are, where they're coming from, and what they're doing. So that is the weak, and that is the strong that he's, talking about, so that we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. Now the word there ought is the word that means to be a debtor, under obligation, or morally bound. We just see ought, we don't really think a whole lot of that, but in the Greek it means one who is a debtor. If you have a debt on your house, is there any option as to whether you will pay it? every month. Is there any option as to paying that, that mortgage? If you are a debtor to the electric company, is there an option not paying the electric company? Not if you want electricity. To be a debtor, to be under obligation, or to be morally bound. This is actually having, having a, a moral concept to it, that you have a moral obligation to do this. When he says you ought, there is a moral obligation that we have that we that are strong should bear we ought to bear with the scruples of the weak now if we compare this to another greek word that is the greek word day that talks about the necessity and the nature of the case this one is talking about the moral obligation 
He didn't use day, which talks about the necessity, the need. He's talking about one that has the moral obligation. Now, you also need to rightly determine, am I strong or am I weak? This is the thing that we do all the time. How many times have you looked at something around the house and decided, am I strong enough to do this? Now, a strong person and a weak person, if you're going to look around the house and you have something that needs to be moved, you determine, am I strong or am I weak by, do I have the ability to pick that up? Now, it does not mean that in the household you have a husband, wife, son, daughter, things like that. It does not mean, well, we just have to get the man in the house over here to do this because it may just be that it's a small package and maybe anybody in the house can pick that up. Anyone is strong enough. I don't need help to do that. But, you know, sometimes my, my wife is uh, height challenged. And so sometimes she has two options if she wants to get something into the, in the upper areas of the, uh, don't laugh, some of you are height challenged. <laughs> I'm not tall, but I'm taller than her. I don't consider six feet to be tall. I consider, you know, six five, six eight. That's tall. Um, but I'm taller than she is. And I also have, uh, my family has very graciously called monkey arms. And I've had them since I was a kid. My grandmother used to knit me sweaters, and she'd be over there at work. This is way back when people knitted, and she'd be over there at work knitting the sweater. And I was a teenager, and she's knitting the sweater, and people would, you know, she'd hold it up. This is what I'm knitting. Oh, that's not going to work. Those arms are way too long. That's just not going to work. Oh, no, no, I measured them. It'll fit. And sure enough, she got finished it all up, put it on me, and it fit. I have unusually longer arms than... Then, uh, then I know that I'm not, it's not crazy, crazy long, but, you know, if you're a little bit taller and have arms a little bit longer, you can get to stuff that other people can't. So if she has something in the, in the uh, upper cabinets, can you go up there and get that? Because that saves her going out and getting a little step ladder, bringing a little step ladder over, getting on the step ladder, going on up there, putting the step ladder back. It's a whole lot easier to say, hey, hon, <laughs> you know, come on over. And so I'll come on over and I can reach up there and I can get that thing and, uh, and, and we can take care of that. So there's a lot of times we evaluate our ability. Do I have the ability to do this? If I have the ability to do it, then I am in the strong category. I am stronger than the need. If I'm not, I'm weaker. Now, just because you're big and strong doesn't mean that you are strong enough for everything. Ernest over there, he might be super strong, and he's probably a whole lot stronger than I am. No, he's a whole lot stronger than I am. But there may be something in the house that he looks at it and says, I need help. Now, those things would be at a higher level than me. I would be you know, hitting something at a much lower level. I need help. And I would go over and I would get some help. And you get somebody on one side, one side, for the other. Lift it on, the thing on up. But if, if I can evaluate it, and sometimes we evaluate wrong. And sometimes out of need, I evaluate long, wrong. How many times have you been the only person? There's no one else to get. I need to be strong enough to get this thing taken care of. And uh, I, I remember one time I was trying to lift something in the back of a truck, and I didn't have help. I didn't have any help. And uh, there was a need that was there. So I was calling on all the things that my grandfather had taught me about how to defy gravity. Because <laughs> he, he was an expert at not fighting gravity, but letting gravity work for you. And I did everything that I possibly could, but I failed. I could not get that sucker into the back of the truck and um, eventually had to just, just do, something, do something else. But 
we have to determine, am I strong enough to do this? So here I have to determine, am I strong or am I weak? If I am strong, then I have a moral obligation. I am in debt, so to speak, to bear with the scruples of the weak. How did we come to a place where we have a moral obligation and a debt? Because we were in a place where we were weak and we could not redeem ourselves. We could not free ourselves from the bondage of sin. And one came along who was stronger and helped us. And so as they came along and they helped us from a position of strength, I too will have times when I am in the position of strength and I have a moral obligation, a debt even, to step in and to help. So we then who are strong ought to or are morally obligated to bear with the scruples of the weak. The word here, scruples, means weakness, infirmities, or feebleness. It's used of mental or physical weakness. Now this word is only used here in the New Testament. And it's not used a whole lot in Greek. But it means weakness, infirmities, or feebleness used of mental or physical weakness. Sometimes we are just mentally weak, not physically weak, but mentally weak. I heard a great story this week. I was listening to, to, a, to a guy who told a story about his wrestling days. And he had a wrestling coach, and he had actually two wrestling coaches. He had the main wrestling coach and then an assistant wrestling coach. And he said the, rest, the, the wrestling coach did absolutely nothing for him ever. Was, was, uh, was not helpful in his life at all. The assistant coach was helpful in his life. But one time, this wrestling coach came over to him and said, I need you to move up in weight. I need you to move up into the next category up and wrestle this guy if we're traveling. It was a traveling match. And I don't know enough about I wrestled for a little while, but it was a long time ago, and I don't understand what the traveling deal was. But something happens with the traveling where I need you to wrestle this guy. And he described him as a monster. He was big, and, and he, was, he was not nearly as big as him. And he says, what I need you to do is not get pinned and not foul. I just need you to lose by not a whole lot. And that, that would help them in whatever they were accomplishing for the team. And so he said, mentally, this set him off. Mentally, he was, his excitement level dropped down. He's now preparing to lose. And so what happened was the assistant coach came over to him. And the assistant coach said to him, he says, look, I've coached for a long time. I've seen this having to happen many times where somebody has to get moved into another category. He says, but I want you to think about this. What would it feel like to win? And, now, and answer me this. I said, don't answer me this question right now, but I'm going to ask you this question. He said, if you could win... Would you? Because right now you expect to lose. But if you could win, would you? Now don't answer me. Just go on off. Now, when the, the head coach took him aside, he took him aside by himself. There was just him and him and the coach. When the assistant coach took him by his side, he brought with him another wrestler who was an all, all-star, all-state. Um, and, and he had him talk first, and then the coach kicked in and, and gave him this. So he thought on this for a couple of days, and as we're getting close to the the time of it, he said, what did you decide? If you could win, would you? 
And he said, yes, I would. And he said, then I'm going to ask you this question. What will it feel like to win? What will it feel like to win? And so he went into that match with a completely different men mentality. And he said, when he went into the match and he shook hands with the guy, he said he could tell on his face the guy he was wrestling was not expecting the attitude that was in him. He's used to a lot of people coming in. He's a monster, bowing down and just, uh, you know, or kind of conceding the, the loss at the beginning. But this guy had some fire in him. And he saw that at the beginning. And so they went on and they wrestled. And guess what? I won. <laughs> he won. And afterwards, the guy that he beat came up to him and congratulated him and gave him a nice heartwarming handshake. And he said a, a week or two later, we were wrestling again in, in the state finals or the state match or some kind of a match. And he said he beat the tar out of me. <laughs> he said he didn't pin me, but he beat the tar out of me. <laughs> I said, maybe I should have geared up more for that one. But, um, but anyway, he just, there's a mentality. You see, you can be physically strong and mentally weak. And that'll hinder you. If the devil has you thinking on the wrong things, you're physically strong or spiritually strong. You're able to take it on spiritually, but mentally, you're weak. Mentally, you're not able to. Much like we saw in Mark chapter 9 when the disciples, the nine disciples were approached by the father with the boy who had the demon spirit. And afterwards, they came to Jesus and said, how come we could not cast them out? And he said, because you've ever believed. You see, they had cast out demons before and they had gone, but this one somehow had some fight in it. And it didn't do all the things they were expecting it to do. And mentally, they weakened themselves. Jesus told them how to get rid of that. But that's another story. We, have to, we ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. Bear with the scruples of the weak. Now the word here for strong is donatos, one who is able, powerful, mighty, or strong. One who is able. I gave you a couple of references. I'm just going to let you read them on your own. But that's where that word is used too. One who is able, powerful, mighty, or strong and weak means unable or weak. Basically, weak here does not mean that you don't have any strength. It means you do not have the strength that is needed for the task. That would make you weak. Strong doesn't mean that you are the strongest ever. It just means you have enough strength for the task that is ahead of you. That is the strong and that is the weak. Now, this word here, bear, bear with, means to bear, pick up, to bear what is burdensome. burdensome. To bear, to pick up, to bear what is burdensome. So we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. So we've got the weak over there, and they're struggling with whatever it is that they're struggling with, and we come over and we help them pick it up. We help them carry it. We help them to, to bring that thing about. This is what it's talking about. Let's uh, read this whole thing again. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. You see, it's more pleasing to myself if I just let that person go over there and do that. Why do I need to get my hands dirty? Why do I need to get in there and help that thing out? I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I'm busy. Whatever it might be. No, we, we don't do it to please ourselves. We do it to help the others. 
So, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. This is what we've got to be looking for. We've got to build up. We've got to edify. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Exposing is not bearing with. When we go around as Christians, and there's many Christians who do this, and we expose, we don't bear with. We go over, did you see what brother, sister, so-and-so did? Do you think that brother or sister so-and-so is right in doing this thing? And we begin to expose what we see as a weakness in someone else instead of bearing with them, instead of helping them. We don't want to do that. We've got to get in there and, and help out. This is what it's talking about. This is an all-the-time thing. This is not a part-time thing. When it says here, please your neighbor, it means to be agreeable, to strive, or to please. Acts 6, 5, and the same pleased the whole multitude. That's where that word is being used. That means that they all liked it. They all enjoyed it. When it's talking about pleasing your neighbor, do something to, that is helpful. Do something that they, they think, wow, oh boy, I really appreciate that. Romans 8, 8 says, those, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I cannot please God. There's a pleasing that goes on even with God. Let's pick up at verse 3 in Romans. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Christ didn't come into this world to please himself. He came into this world to please his neighbor. They came into this world to do things that would make the, us be helped. He came in to bear our weaknesses. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to, the, toward, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Receive one another just as Christ also received us. So we need to, Jesus is our example. He's using him as the example here. Jesus came in as the strong to help the weak. Jesus came in, as it said, with patience. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. As we see that same mind in him, we've got to have that same mind in us. How often shall we have the same mind that Christ has towards other people? All the time. Jesus Christ had it all the time. Well, I can't do all the time. Not if you have that attitude. Not if you have that mentality. Not if you think that way. If you're going to be involved in a, in a sports competition, whether it be football, whether it be wrestling, whatever it might be, if part of the way through that competition you begin to say, I can't finish this, I can't do this anymore, you will, you will drop out. You've got to keep telling yourself, I've got this. I've got what I, what I need. No, I can. if Christ Jesus did it, I can do it. He says, receive one another. This is from the Greek word to take to oneself for use food, like, like in food, to lead or to take aside, to admit to friendship or hospitality. When it's talking about receiving, this is what it means. To take to, one's, to oneself to, for use, like food. I'm going to take the food that is there. We're going to have the covered dish dinner here in a little bit, and we're going to go up to the table, and we are going to take from the, the trays that are there and put it on our plate. That's the, the thing that I'm basically receiving 
from the, the master plate, put it on my plate. To take to oneself for use, to lead or to take aside, to admit to friendship or hospitality. In Acts 27, 33, 34, and 36, they took and ate food. You can go read that on your own if you want to. In Matthew 16, 22, you're familiar with this verse. And Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him, saying, that's where he, he took him. That's that same word that's being used. Acts 17, 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded become, becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob. They took some of the evil men, gathered a mob. See, that kind of stuff was going on back in Jesus' day. It was going on back before then too. God is not behind it. That was in Acts 17, 5. Acts 28, 2. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. There's that word, welcome, is our word. They received them. Romans 14, 1 through 3. Receive one who is weak in the faith. Receive one who is weak in the faith. Same word being used. And then down at the end of verse 3. For God has received him. Received the one who is weak. If God received them, then we should certainly receive them as well. So, this is the example that we should follow. It uses Jesus Christ as, as the example. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 2 because here we really see him break this down as Jesus as our example. In verse 1, therefore, Philippians 2, 1, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And then he gives the opposite part. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. There's a mental attitude we have to have. And very often Christians will fall into, I don't deserve that. They shouldn't do that to me. We get this, this thinking. I'm above that. I've, I've earned something better than this. And we begin to think this. And when we see something different, it, we develop an attitude towards them. He's using Jesus as the example. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing. If you do one thing in the day, through selfish ambition, you have not followed this verse. He said in verse 4, Let each of you look not only for your own interest. It is not wrong to look after your own interest, but also for the interest of others. You can look after your own interest, but you also have to look after the interest of others. Don't just be, well, I'm, I'm not going to get anything out of this, so I'm not going to do it. So look out for your, uh, your interest. That's, what, that's one of those blanks there. Look out for your interest and also for the interest of others. I want you to make sure you get that. It is okay to look out for your interest as long as in the same area you're looking out for the interest of others, not just your own. You can't just take time off and say, well, I'm just going to look out for my interest here. No. You've got to look out for the interest of others as well. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. All right, now here's we're going to we're going to break it down. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was in the form of God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Is he above us? Oh, yeah. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness 
of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he's using Jesus as the example here. And in using this, he says, look, you, you can't get as high as, as Jesus. You can't get as high as God. And yet Jesus, as high as God, came down to this level, humbled himself, put himself in this position, so that he could help you. If that's the example, if that's the mindset that's in him, then we too must take this same mindset. But what the enemy is always trying to do is get us to be pulled out of that mindset and begin to do things that we become selfish, begin to do things to where I'm just looking out after my own interest. And the way he does it is he disarms us. He disarms us by sowing seeds, sowing thoughts into us, well, so-and-so has done this. So-and-so has done... And we begin to think, they're, they're not helping me. They're not looking out for me. Look at what they've done to me. And because I have those thoughts in, I immediately begin to elevate myself because I feel that someone else has put me down. And so I've elevated myself, and that starts off the whole pattern of wrong things. And the more I operate in that, where I elevate myself, put myself in that position, the more I distance people from wanting to support me and help me. But see, I, the devil's got me into protect mode. i got to protect what I have. People shouldn't be allowed to do this to me. People shouldn't disrespect me in this way. People shouldn't treat me in this way. And you come in and your, your gun's blazing to protect what is yours. You don't, want to, you don't want to do it that way. You've got to go in there and understand, I can look after my own interests, but I've also got to look after the interests of others. The Word of God says, don't assume the worst about people. Because God knows, if you assume the worst about people, you will begin to fall into protect mode. You'll distance people from you, therefore not having the support that you need. You'll hurt them. Don't let the devil get you into self-protect mode because what this does is it destroys you. But we don't think that. We think we're preserving ourselves. We think we're helping ourselves, but we're not. He's gotten us to, to wrongly assume. How many times have you watched the movie, especially those Hallmark movies? This is what they do. There's always that, that seed that gets sown. Oh, they did something against me. And you can see the assumptions being made. And you know what's wrong. And then you see what goes on. We can watch those all the time and know that this is the pattern. This is what's going to happen. And yet when, we ha when it happens in our life, we follow right off to that path. The devil sows a thought. That, that co-worker, you see the way they look at you? They're gunning for your job. They're looking to, to take you down. Yeah, I saw that look. And instead, we just going up there and said, hey, I saw, I saw you had a, a look on your face, and I was just concerned. Is there anything wrong? Oh, no. 
No, nothing wrong at all. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to have a look. Oh, that's fine. I just didn't want you, if there was something wrong, I just want to help. I, maybe I could take care of it. You see, now you're taking care of it. See, the devil can't work in that atmosphere. So he wants to keep, no, you need to keep this quiet. Talk to everybody else. So then we have gossip sessions around the workplace. We start talking, well, so-and-so, they looked at me funny. I know that they're, oh, well, I had that happen too. They did that, and pretty soon we all begin to, to do this. See, we're not, we're not bearing with, we're exposing. And what the devil has gotten us to do as Christians is to do his job as the accuser of the brethren. And we go around and accuse people. We go around and tell people, this is why you shouldn't trust them. This is why you shouldn't go after this. This is why you shouldn't do this. And what we're doing is we're undermining our support team. We're taking the people that God put in our life. These are people that are going to help you. But we don't need to do that. Where do we leave off at? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God works it in you. God will work it in you that you want to do the very things that will help you. You will want to do the very things that the Word of God commands you to do. He will work it in you that you actually want to. I don't want to just assume the wrong things about people. I want to go in, in this direction. This is the direction I want to go. If you want to go in a direction, you're much more able to accomplish it. Because I want to go there. You know, if you want to have steak for dinner, it's a whole lot easier to get it. But if you don't want it, for whatever reason, it's much harder to go get it. But if you want steak, then you want to look for a restaurant that has steak, or you want to go to the market and find a good steak, and you want to go through the effort it is to cook it because you have a desire to do it. But if you don't, it's not there. How many of you ever felt, you know, not a little bit under the weather? And you just don't feel like cooking. I don't feel like cooking. I know it would be a whole lot better if I would cook something up, but I don't feel like it. If you want to do a thing, it's much easier to do it. So God will actually work in you to will to do what he's saying. You'll want to do it. Every diet in the world would be easier to stay on if you wanted it. If you enjoyed it. If you liked it, you'd, you'd do better. How many want to be on an all-cake diet? And somebody has written a book. You can eat cake the rest of the days of your life and lose weight. Sign me up. I mean, the reason most people don't eat cake more is because they feel like it'll make more of them. I don't want to have that much of me. And so you stay away from the cake and the cookies and stuff, but you love them. They're good, but no, I'm going to stay away from them because you think it's, it's, it's not good for you. But if you wanted to do the things that were going to help you, if you wanted to eat good food, it'd be a whole lot easier to eat good food. If you wanted to, to stay on the diet that you have, if you want everything in you, you want to do it. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. Both to will and to do. Not just that I want to do it, but that I will do it. 
It's one thing if you want to eat healthy. Boy, I want to eat healthy. But it's a whole other thing to do it. Haven't you ever had that? I want to eat more wholesome foods, but I'm just not doing that yet. We haven't quite got it over to that. I want to get into an exercise program, but I'm just not doing it yet. I want to be more controlled in the kind of thoughts that I, I like get in, but I'm not doing it yet. So he's saying, uh, he's not only going to get you to want to do it, he's going to get you to do it. He's going to help you to do it. If I yield myself to him, he won't control you, but he'll help you to do it. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He's going to help you do the things that please him. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Anybody still have that verse in their, in their Bible? I wanted to read this to you from one of the modern translations. Do the things you like without complaining or disputing. That'd be easier, wouldn't it? Just do, if, you, if we just did the things that we like without complaining and disputing, because the things we complain and dispute about are what? Things we don't like. I don't like it. I don't like when people speak to me that way. I don't like when people treat me that way. I don't like when I feel this way. Do all things, all things, of course that Greek word all, you know what that means? All. It means all things. Do all things without complaining and disputing. The word complaining here means a murmur, a murmuring, or a muttering. The word disputing is the thinking of a man deliberating with himself. So what it's telling you here is it's, he's covering both bases. Don't let the words out of your mouth complain about what's going on, and don't let the thoughts in your head start to go around the world. Why did they do that? Well, they shouldn't have done that. Have you had those arguments in your head? You're not talking to anybody about it yet, but in your head, something is going on. Well, that shouldn't happen. Well, they shouldn't do that. Well, they shouldn't have said. Well, they shouldn't have done. And we begin to have this internal disputing. That internal disputing leads to what? External speaking. And we begin to externally speak to people that are not involved. And what we want from that is for them to say, oh, yeah, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't go on. That shouldn't happen. But he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. So if you do some things, you're not living up to that scripture. If you do most things, you're not living up to that scripture, are you? If I don't live up to the scripture, I can't get what the scripture is telling me to get. Do all things without complaining and disputing. So God's working in me to will and to do His good pleasure. And if I want to do those things, I'm not as likely to complain and dispute that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
Well, if we're, if we're complaining and disputing, we're not going to shine quite so bright, are we? That you may become blameless and harmless children of God. So, he says that we may become. Well, we're already saved. How come we're not blameless? Just because I'm righteous doesn't mean I'm blameless. You can be righteous and still have some blame. There may be still some harm in you. And if you give in and go after the devil's uh, temptation to pull you in, start to do the complaining and disputing. Start to do the things where you're looking out for yourself. Start to believe things that distrust other people. If you begin to do that, you will cause harm. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Well, Paul's right in his day. He's got a wicked and perverse generation. We sure have a wicked and perverse generation here. But we are to shine. We are to be the lights in the world. We are the people to stand up and say, hey, we are different. But I cannot stand up and be different if I'm acting the same way the world is. If I believe whatever is said, but just, just don't do it. Just don't bother with it. God will actually, as he creates inside you a will to do what he wants, you will find that you will become less interested in what is against him. When you hear things, people say, so-and-so is this way. So-and-so is doing this. You just like, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to hear about that. And you just move on. Whereas before, really? Tell me more. And then once we hear that, then we want to go on and we want to expose that person as much as we can. We're not bearing with. I need to bear with, not expose. He said, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. If we don't follow after this way, the whole path that we're taking, Paul is saying, you could have run the whole thing in vain. Don't, don't fall into that. That's why the devil loves to pull people into this. But don't do it. Don't believe false. Don't believe negative things about other people. Just don't believe it. It may be true, but you don't have to believe it. You don't have to give any attention to it. If you're not in a position to bear with, then drop it. I can't get get over there to help them out with that. So um, I'm just going to move on. So God works in you to will and to do. To will and to do. Now that word blameless there, I gave you some other places in the scripture that you can go look up, and it's really easy to see where blameless is in those, uh, those passages. The word faultless means unmixed, pure as wine, pure as metals, faultless. These things are not, this, this evil stuff, these things from the world are not being mixed in with you. Now, people will be supportive of you when you need it if I am one of these kind of people. If I am one of these kind of people. 1st off, I bear, I bear with not expose weaknesses of others. If I am one of those persons who bears with not exposes the weaknesses of others, if that's me, people will support you. 
if you're one of those people who goes around exposing people, having little, little private meetings, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Do you think that so-and-so ought to be doing these things? Do you think this is right that such and such a thing happened? Well, they did this to me. Well, they said this. Well, they thought this. If you're going around and exposing other people, the people that you are talking to are going to know you are an exposer. Not a supporter. Not one who bears with. And it's going to impact them how much they want to support you. How much they want to help you. When the time comes. So, supportive, you'll have supportive people around you when you bear with, not expose the weaknesses of others. The temptation is there. Temptation is very real. You're going to be tempted to expose and to talk about the weaknesses of other people. You're going to hear famous people getting news reports made up of them. Well, so-and-so did such-and-such. And, such and, such. and um, whatever else might be, be going, no, don't mess with it. Leave it go. People will be supportive of me when I need it if I am one who edifies, not tear down to others. i got to make sure that the words I speak are words of edification, that I edify, I don't tear them down. Listen to your words. You'd be amazed at how many people think I am an edifier. I'm a person who builds others up. But the people that are around them say, are thinking inside, oh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I've heard you talk about people. I've heard you talk about the people in your family. I've heard you talk about the people on your job. I've heard you talk about the people in your neighborhood. No. No, you're, you're one that tears down. And just know, if you tear down others to people, those people are going to know you're probably tearing me down to other people. But they won't confront you on it. Most people won't confront you on it. They'll just, uh, well, I just... I can't rely on them for help. And they're not going to be quite as, as rapid to jump in and help you. People who will be supportive of me when I need it, if I am one who thinks positive instead of negative of others. Think positive, not negative. If people can determine, you constantly have positive thoughts of other people. You're always thinking other positive thoughts about other people. Not negative ones. They're going to be more supportive, more willing to help out. Learn the habit of thoughtfulness in your life. Get that habit down. Get the habit of thoughtfulness down in your actions, the way that you act. Get it down in your speech, the words that you use, and get it down in your thoughts, the things that you think. Don't let it be occasional. Don't let it be just once in a while we're going to do this. Look at Romans 15, verse 13, all the way down to the end of the chapter. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in this it, uh, peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How many would like to be filled with all joy and peace? I want to be filled with all joy and peace. This is what I want. I want to be filled. I want to have joy all the time. I want to have peace all the time. Or something I was studying out this, this week. And um, I'm still trying to piece some of it together. But there's a correlation between joy and gratitude. The people who lose their gratitude in life lose their joy. The people who lost their joy generally don't have gratitude. 
Those things are hand in hand. Keep those things high in your life. Stay thankful. Stay joyful. It's a choice. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how he signs this, this, uh, this verse off. This, this thought that was here. This is how he's signing this part off. If you looked up Weist and his translation, he puts this in there. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in the sphere of believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a sphere that surrounds those who believe. If I choose to believe the best in others, if I choose to believe to be one who edifies, if I choose to believe the things that God says I should think on, if I choose to believe in the people that are around me, despite what people are saying about that, if I choose to believe, if I stay in the realm of believing, I will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will, the joy and peace will abound in me because I am in the sphere of believing. Now, picture this way. If you get outside of the sphere of believing, the sphere of believing the best in others, the sphere of believing the things that God has said, the sphere of trusting God, if you get out of that, that sphere, your joy and peace will go away. It's in that place. There's a certain way that they word the, the, the Greek, certain um, tenses that are involved with this that show this. We don't have the same thing in English. You have to translate it with words. But it's, in the, it's actually in the, uh, the verbiage. It's actually in the, the Greek language. It's written right in there. And this is a place where they use it and they come up, come up with it. In this fear of believing. The devil knows he's got to get you out of that. So he's got to throw thoughts to get you to distrust the people in your family. To get you to distrust the people on your job. If, you can, if he can get you to distrust, get you out of that sphere of believing, your joy will be gone. Your peace begins to vanish. Stay in the sphere of believing. Stay in that spot. I am going to walk in such a way as to believe that God will bring the people around me that I need. I believe that God will bring the people around me that I need. I'm going to stay in that sphere. I'm going to stay in that area. The devil's going to tell you this. You don't have who you need. Who's going to help you if you need help? He's going to get you to disbelieve that. But if you walk in the sphere, nope, I'm doing what the Word of God says. I know I will have people to support me when I need it. I'm going to walk in such a way as to believe that the people around me are able to support and help. The enemy is always trying to tell you the people you got around you, they're no good. They're, they don't have any, any... You need different people. You need better people. Nope. If God puts you around with certain people, those people can help you. I am going to walk in such a way as to believe that I am not alone. The devil all the time wants to tell you, you're alone. You got nobody. I am going to walk in such a way as to believe that God is making me stronger. Not weaker. God is making me stronger. God, every day you do something to make me stronger. Every day you teach me something. You give me revelation. I just wake up in the morning. Thank God that I have what I need today. Thank you, Lord, that I'm getting stronger. Thank you that I'm growing. I'm going to walk in such a way as to believe 
that I can think and speak as one who believes the best in others. I can do it. I can. Well, I haven't so far. I keep falling into this thing of talking bad about other people. No, no, I'm going to walk in such a way as to believe that I can think and speak as one who believes best in others. I can go around and say, God, you said you would work to will and to do. You would work to, to will and to do. I believe right now that you are working to will. I believe that you are working to do. You are doing it right now inside of me. I believe that you have put the people that I need around in my life. And I thank you that I am not in this alone. But you are making me stronger. You are making me better. I give you the praise and the glory for it. This is the way that you can walk. This is the way that you can think. The enemy wants you to think and to walk in ways that are different. Don't give in to his thinking. Don't give in to his ways. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. You have done great things in our life. And on this, our communion Sunday, as we prepare to take communion and be reminded of the work that Jesus had done. Be reminded of what has occurred already. How Jesus, being equal with God, did not think anything about humbling himself and coming down here on the earth. And if Jesus, our example, could do that, then we can humble ourselves. And we can become the help that other people need, not the exposure, not the one who points out all the faults that they have. Father, I thank you that you are helping us to understand that what is in our life is in our life because you have brought it in. The enemy is always telling us what we have is no good. It could be better. And we don't appreciate what we have. But what we have is great. And if we learn to enjoy it and use it, it will become even better. So many examples in the Word. People took what they had and they made something. Paul constantly surrounded by people that it didn't seem like they could do a whole lot and he made Timothy's out of them he made Titus's out of them he made great men of faith out of them David made great men around those who gathered around him but if we want to complain we want to bicker and we want to find fault then we'll be numbered among those like Saul but though he had great people in him he never recognized it and the great people that were all around him wandered away and were not the help that he needed because he wouldn't allow them, but he opened the door to those who were worthless and they steered him in the wrong direction. So many others followed the same way. But Father, you have better plans for us and I thank you for it. So rushers come the elements of communion. Be thinking of the example that we have in Jesus. That Jesus came to this earth, humbled himself, became something much lower than he was. He was God and he became man. He was sinless and on the cross he took on our sin. 
if he could set the example for us, if he could do these things, how much more can we bear with the weaknesses of others? Instead of constantly pointing them out, constantly be mindful of them, no, we don't need to be going in that direction. Don't be constantly looking out for the faults and the shortcomings of others. When the enemy comes over and begins to pinpoint for you what's going on with the other people, don't listen. Don't yield. Stay strong. God, you said you would work to will. You said you would work to do. Because they're both here in this midst. Thank you, Lamar. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before supper, he took the, the bread and he broke it. And he said, This represents my body, which is broken for you. His body was beaten, his body was bruised. So that sickness and disease would have no part in our life, we would be redeemed. As we eat together, let's remember what Jesus humbled himself to do. We were weak, we couldn't do this. He was strong. And he did it for us. Let's eat together. After supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, constantly, you're mindful of sin. You're mindful of your shortcomings. You're mindful of what you didn't do. The new covenant, you're mindful of him. Our obedience and disobedience could affect the covenant of the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, it's His obedience. That's what God looks at. Not our coming along and doing the things that are in law. Nope. Look at what Jesus did. And nothing that I do changes what Jesus did. Strength together and remember. Glory to God. Father, I thank you. Cannot thank you enough. Your power is so great. For all those years you came down as Jesus lived this life, overcame sin, and then went to the cross to redeem us that we are no longer held by the power of sin that we are free. Give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, glory to God. It's good to have you here. Hope most of you can, can stay, or all of you can stay and hang out for our, our meal together. If you can give us a hand as we uh, set up the chairs and tables and take these ones down, we can um, bring these things about a little Appreciate all the help that you can give us on it. Have a great rest of the day. We'll talk to you in a little bit.